Bibles to 2 Samuel 24. There we go. 2 Samuel 24. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church. And, and can I just say, this is my first sermon in this building. And this building looks really good on you guys. It's really, it's really nice. It's exciting. So we are closing out our sermon series on the life of David this morning. And if you came this morning knowing that we've been studying David, and you came this morning looking for a neat, packaged, bookended, nice, sweet, peaceful sermon, uh, this isn't the one for you. In fact, this sermon is really about the most disgusting, evil thing in this world. This sermon is about something that all of us deal with, all of us struggle with, and all of us can't avoid. This sermon is about sin. And I hope by the end of this sermon, by the power of the Spirit in you, that you are encouraged, that you say, you know what, this, this study and this book couldn't have ended any better. God wrote these words down for us. God wrote this sermon this morning to us this morning, and I pray that he speaks to all of us, that we are encouraged and convicted this morning by his word. So I'm going to jump right in because we've got a lot to cover. So our big idea this morning is this. No one is immune to the power and pitfalls of sin, no matter how old, no matter how mature, or how experienced. No one is immune to the power and pitfalls of sin, no matter how old, how mature, or how experienced. And instead of reading the whole chapter, we're going to read it in chunks In chunks this morning. And I've got three uh, main points, or three observations that I want to pull out for us this morning, looking at the life of David. If you've been reading along in the CBR journal, which is just the journal that But we read a a chapter in the Old Testament and a chapter in the New Testament. So we're in Scripture, in the Bible. If you've been reading along, this will be familiar to you. We read it this last week. And if you you read and you went along with the CBR journal, you saw where David dies, not just two or three chapters later in 1 Kings. So let's jump in. Our first observation this morning is that David has a problem. That David has a problem. We, in turn have a problem as well. So let's read verses 1 through 10 in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from through all the tribes, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see it. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and began from Aror and from the city that is in the middle of the valley toward Gad and on to Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to Kadesh in the land of the Hittites, and they came to Dan, and from Dan they went around to Sidon, to the, all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. They went out to Negeb of Judah at Beersheba. 
So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave the, gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. There are theories, many theories, about what went wrong. We, we don't have any specific reason why a census is wrong. Maybe it's David's heart. Maybe it's his desire to see how strong his, his country is. We're not sure. But the fact remains is that David did something wrong. Verse 10 tells us that he knows he sinned against God. So David has a problem here. And if we've learned anything from the life of David in the past six or eight months, if we've learned anything is that he isn't the hero that our felt board Sunday school lessons taught us when we were kids. He, he isn't the perfect king. He isn't the, the perfect leader. He isn't the perfect father. He isn't, he isn't the perfect husband. He isn't the perfect shepherd. He isn't the perfect friend. And he isn't the perfect servant. This man David has a problem. And the problem is, is that David he can't live to the standards established by God's word. He falls short time and time again. And this problem is called sin. This problem is called sin. So what is sin? In, in systematic theology, Wayne Grudem defines sin as sin is, is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, in attitude, or in nature. So any failure to conform to the moral law of God. So God is holy, perfect, and good, and He is the standard of what is right. And so for us, or for human beings, and for David, particularly in this story, perfection is impossible. Perfection is impossible. Okay, so, so maybe he could be great. No, great is impossible. Well, maybe then, maybe he could be good. No, good is impossible because of sin. Even though David is described by God himself to be a man after God's own heart, he still is not perfect. And so one thing I want to just kind of point out to you in this point that, that David has a problem is no one is immune to the power of sin. No one is immune. See, David is old. He's at the end of his life. In fact, he's so old that a couple chapters prior to this, his mighty men and his warriors said, David, you can't go into battle anymore. You're a liability. He's, he's that old. He's at the end of his life. And maybe that's the reason why he says, you know what, let's count the number. Let's see how strong I still am. But he's old. He's experienced. He's mature. He understands his beliefs. He knows who God, who God is. He knows the scriptures. He knows the law. And he loves God. Guys, all the boxes are checked in David's life. Every single one of them. You would, you would look at David's life and say, he's got it all. And yet... He doesn't. We don't, we, we don't grow out of this problem of sin. 
David doesn't grow out of this problem of sin. Let us, let us not deceive ourselves that, that some way, at some time, that we're going to be immune to the power of sin. That it's not going to have an effect on us anymore. I wish I could stand up here and say in 2003, I prayed a prayer. I asked God to remove all lustful thoughts from my, from my heart and from my head. And that since that day, he's done it. And I've been free of it. And it's been a miracle. I wish I could say that. But that's not how it works. See, God puts us in places and in circumstances and situations knowing who we are because so that we're dependent on him. And so as we sang, his mercies can be more. It doesn't work that way. It's when, when a pastor who, is, who loves Jesus so much looks to someone else for, for peace or looks for, to someone else for companionship and has an adult, adulterous affair or when somebody who loves Jesus so much, a pastor even, who, who loses all hope and ends his life. Why, those circumstances scare me. Because I'm not far from that. And you shouldn't think you are either. We are not far. We are one step away from that. Because it's what the problem that David had and the problem that we have. Sin runs through our veins. It is the constant struggle that we fight. It is the constant struggle that we face as human beings. We want to be good, but we find it nearly impossible to be good apart from Jesus. In fact, it is impossible apart from Jesus. And even with Jesus, we struggle. Sin contaminates everything we do as human beings apart from Jesus. It is like taking a, a glass of water out of the Amazon River. If you've ever seen an Amaz the Amazon River, it is the, one of the dirtiest rivers in the world. The largest river, but one of the dirtiest. Because all of the, all the water from the land and all the chemicals and all that runs down into the Amazon and then it just runs down this largest river in the, in the world. It's like taking a glass of water out of it and saying, no, that's not good. Then another one. No, that's not good. A million glasses and you would never find a clean glass of water. It's, it's contaminated. It's ruined. And everything we do apart from Jesus is not good. I want you to notice something else. That David ignored good counsel. Look at verse 3. Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are. While the eyes of my Lord the king still see it, but why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? In other words, Joab says, yo, David, what are you thinking? There is no need for this. You are king of Israel and Judah. We just got done fighting. We're at a time of peace. There is no need for this. And David says, no, we're going to do it. It says something along the lines of the king's, the king's word, that the king's word prevailed against Joab. You're going to do as I say. David got good counsel, and he ignored it. Notice, he had somebody around him who was speaking into his life. That's not enough, guys. We need community to walk faithfully. We need people around us. It is why, it is why we, we emphasize missional communities. I'm so glad that Alyssa mentioned missional community and coffee groups. We need one another. We need to be in one another's lives, but we also need to listen to godly counsel. We need, also need to listen to the Holy Spirit when somebody like Joab comes to us and says, hey, that's not a good idea. 
I know what you're thinking, but let's not do that. I know why you're, 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 you're saying those things, but I wonder if something else is going on underneath. We need one another. But even in community, even in coffee groups, we can ignore that counsel. Because sin is powerful. It is attractive. And it does lay out pitfalls for us to stumble regularly. Surround yourselves with people who are willing to speak. Who don't need to speak and be listened to. Who just need to speak and continue to speak into your life. And then hopefully, God willing, you listen. Sin is powerful and no one is immune. No one is immune. If we know David's life, just a few weeks ago we learned about David and Bathsheba. What was one of David's big problems was he was by himself. He didn't have anybody around him. He went up on the roof by himself. Surround yourself with people, brothers and sisters, who will speak into your life. Not proclaim, claim, <laughs> proclaim it to, to claim it, but to speak into your life truths, scripture, and call you out on foolishness. The other, the other thing I want to point out in this is that, is that uh, sin, sin matters. No one is immune to this sin, this problem that David has, but now also sin matters. It is a continuous problem. There's no avoiding it. Some of us live in this life, in this, this, these, these practices where, you know, if confrontation happens or if something crazy that we don't like happens, we just kind of sweep it off the, under the rug and then we just kind of back away and we come back three weeks later and it's all kind of disappeared. Well, sin doesn't disappear. Sin stays. Sin grows. Sin festers. It's a continuous problem, and there's no avoiding it. When I was in seventh grade, we had just got done playing street football or baseball, I don't remember. I'm sitting on a fence, kind of like this, and we're just chilling, talking, and these two older guys, kids, walk up, and they're probably ninth grade or tenth grade, I don't know. They walk up, and one kid just pushes me. And I... Marcy... Pushes me, and of course, I do a backflip and fall, and, and, you know, if I was tougher street kid or whatever, I'd probably be like, you know, yo, what are you talking about? What are you doing that for? And, you know, push back and all that, but I was like scared out of my mind, and I was like quivering, you know, like, <laughs> what just happened? And, well, what I had hoped was, if I, if I ignored the fact that that happened, then it would just kind of disappear, right? Like, if I just ignored it and pretended like that never happened... Later on in my weeks and months, it just won't bother me. Well, for the kid, it, bother, it didn't bother him anymore. But for me, I lived in fear of that kid. And all he did was push me. It didn't go away until he finally moved. <laughs> it stayed with me, and sin stays with us, guys. There is no avoiding it. There is no hiding it. There is no just letting it run its course, and then we'll just kind of continue on, we have to address the struggle. We have to address it. And the scripture says that we have to confess it. That fear and that shame that I felt, that damaged ego stayed with me just as fear 
and shame and damaged ego of sin stays with us. Sin will find you. It does not just pass away. Lastly, in this section of David's problem is that David understood his problem and in turn his need. Who does David turn to? Look at verse 10. But David's heart struck him. How many of you guys have been in that situation where you've, let's just say you've said something and you wish you could pull those words back before they reach the person's ear? You know what I'm talking about? Like, ah, that's kind of what happened. David, it, it happened. And conviction immediately. He knew he had done something wrong. The Spirit convicted David. David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. See, David goes to the Lord, his only hope, his only call was to the Lord. Not, not to Joab. He didn't go to Joab and go, hey, hey, bro, I did really, I did bad. Maybe that conversation did happen and maybe he apologized to Joab, but that's not what the scripture says. He didn't go to his wife or wives. He didn't go to Gad, who was the prophet who was speaking. And we'll see later, he shows up. He did not go to any of those people. He went to the Lord. David understood his need and he knew who to go to. We must understand our need. And it is only when we understand our need and our problem that we find restoration and rescue. It is only then. And when we find our need and when we understand our need, he meets us there. As we'll see in just a minute, the Lord speaks to David almost immediately. Our God is gracious and he meets us where we are. But we must understand our need and not just on a mental capacity, but we must understand our need in our hearts. We must understand our need that down in our bones, that I can try all I want, but nothing's going to change. I can't clean that water of the Amazon myself. We must know that we are sinners and cannot fix it ourselves. And in order to be a follower of Jesus, we must know our need because he is the only one who can rescue us. Jesus is the only one. So if sin is the problem, then what's the solution? So look at verses 10 through 15. This is our second observation in this text. Verse 10 through 15. We'll read verse 10 again. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them, that I may do it to you. Wow, what a statement. Just let that sit for a minute. God says to David, I'll give you three choices. 
Pick one and I'll do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Bishirba 70,000 men. Atonement must be made. Now this is a this is a, a word that we we know in the church. It's a simple simple word. It means putting right, to atone for, to to put right. This isn't the first time in the last three chapters where we see something like this. Turn back to chapter twenty one. We're going to read verses one through six in chapter twenty one. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites and so and now the Gibeonites were, were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, What do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the ter territory of evil, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. What in the world? So the sin of Saul, the, pre the previous king, the king that David took over, the king, the king that wanted to kill David once David was anointed as the future king. Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, killed the Gibeonites, going against his word. And now there's a famine in the land. And David seeks the Lord and asks what's going on. What is happening? What have I done? And it's because of Saul's sin. Saul's actions. And to, to atone for Saul's actions, David goes to the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites says, give us seven of Saul's uh, family, let us hang them, let them die, and then as we, if you read on, the famine disappears. Atonement is making things right. Saul went against his word. Saul went against what the Lord said. Saul went against, Saul went for what he wanted to do. 
And David, faithful David, God-loving David, God-fearing David sought restoration. And the Gibeonites, when, when David approached Gibeon, uh, the Gibeonites and talked to them, they said, this is not monetary. Gold and silver isn't going to work. Land is not going to work. This is going to take more than that. This is more important than that. I point this out to remind us that even though the definition of atonement means put right, it is incredibly bloody, it is incredibly brutal, and it is ugly. Death and blood must be spilled for the atonement that that we are speaking of this morning. So seven people die for the people of Israel. And now in chapter 24, because of David's actions, 70,000 men die in this plague for three, after three days. This is more than just a payment. This was a law. This was normal practice. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You say, Chris, where's the sacrifice in the Garden of Eden? When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He made clothing for them. An animal died in order for him to make clothing for them. They hid behind trees and leaves, but God clothed them in animals. Abraham, Israel's father, Abraham, father Abraham took his son, didn't know exactly what sacrifices meant, but he took his only son up to, mount, up to the mountain to sacrifice him because God told him to. Because God said an atonement needed to happen. Moses, who wrote the law by the power of the Spirit, by God's leading, established the temple and established the laws that the people would follow where sacrifices were made over and over. A bloody sacrifice. See, David knows all this when this is happening. And now 70,000 men, because of his leadership, because of his sin, have died. And for us, in Western civilization, we really have a hard time grasping this. It's not normal for us. An animal sacrifice was, was normal to David. Blood was normal. To see blood on, a, on the bottom of a, of a tunic, to see blood on, on feet was, was normal. But if you and I ran into somebody with blood on their feet, we'd go, uh, you know, we'd walk away real fast. Even if we were in the mountains and this guy was a hunter and had camo on, we'd kind of say, that's pretty gross, dude. It's not normal for us, but for them, it was normal. And now 70,000 people are killed. 70,000 men are killed because of the needed atonement, making right the sin that David committed. It was the norm. It wasn't barbaric. I know some of us are thinking, man, that's so barbaric. That's, ah, doesn't make any sense. It wasn't. It was normal. And if we compare this to, to our legal system and our crime and, and punishment system, it, it's, it's similar, but, but it's not the same because, because in this circumstance with David, David sinned against God and God is, is, is seeking atonement for the sins that David committed. 
See, when, when, when you commit a crime, you pay your punishment, but you're really paying your punishment to the citizens of the city, the town in which you live. But in David's time, in what David is experiencing, what God is talking about, you would have to atone for it to the judge. And the judge would say, yes, that's what I want. People sinned against God, and we too sin against God every time we fail. It's not against, it's, sometimes it's against our brother, our sister, our husband, our wife, our, our friend, our, our co-worker, the guy driving down the road wrong, incorrectly, whatever it may be. But ultimately, it's against God. And we sin against Him when we fail. I want you to notice how this works out. So in verse 10, David realizes his sin, and he realizes his need, and he confesses. Verse 11 through 13, God gives David three choices. Three choices, and David chooses. He says, let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. Now, this is fascinating because David is choosing the very hand that is bringing punishment. David chooses the very hand that is bringing wrath. I give you three choices. They're in my hand. And he chooses. He says, you know what? I don't want to be against, I don't want man to come against me. So I'm going to put my, put my trust and my faith completely in God's hand who is coming towards me because I know him to be merciful. He knows the weight of his sin. He knows his actions. He knows the severity of it. And yet... He chooses God because he knows he is merciful. If we have this same problem as David does, which we do, and atonement is needed, then what animal or what people are going to die in our place to make us right before God? Israel was, was God's chosen people, but throughout history, what did they do? They rejected him. They rejected God. They said they wanted God, but they really rejected his ways. And then they'd come back to him. And then he, they'd reject him again. And then they'd come back to him. But they would continue to live the same religious life that they grew accustomed to. Which is the, same, which is the way that God uses the, the people of Israel as a shadow of his people to come. Which is the church which is those who Jesus came to die for. Those sitting in this room who know Jesus, who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Israel is a, is a, is a beacon, is a shadow of the church. So then how does atonement work for you and for me? Because I don't see any of us sacrificing animals and, and we're not asking God to show us so that 70,000 people die. See, before we get there, David tried to do all he could for his people. He tried. He even tried to be mediator. And We'll jump to verse 17 real quick. It says, Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned. Lord, I have sinned. 
and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, my people, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. David even tries to be mediator, but he can't. This brings us to the last observation. If atonement is needed for you and I sitting in this room, where does it happen? Where does it come from? And it is, it is through Jesus. Because Jesus is the better David. Verse 17 we just read, so let's pick up at 18 and read to the end of the chapter. And God came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up to Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Arana looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arana, No, But I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Jesus is the better David. God, God tells, tells, through Gad, tells David to go and to build an altar. And so he goes down to, to Arana, a threshing floor, and says, I'm going to buy this place, I need this place, I need to build an altar. And of course, Arana's like, well, I, I'm, I'm friends with the king, here, have it, you can have it. David says, no, 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 I need to buy it. David tried to be mediator for the people of Israel. He said, I've done wrong. Just take it against me and my family, not against my people. He tried to be the good shepherd. He tried, but he couldn't. It didn't work. And now he's got to go and build an altar. This entire study, we have seen time and time again that that David's life, who was the anointed king, He was the chosen king. He was the king that that God picked for the people of Israel. Didn't live up to the standard that God has set for his people. And that this entire study, we've learned that Jesus is the better king. That Jesus is, is better. Jesus, who is also title, is son of David. King Jesus, this this shepherd boy who turned to be anointed king, David was the chosen king who proved himself in battle. This same David fails at being king. He fails at being leader. He fails at being mediator for his people because God wants more. 
And in so doing, in, in, in the way that David fails over and over and over, he just points to somebody else. He just points to Jesus. Sometimes we read his, his writings and we go, David gets it. He gets it. He's pointing to Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And then sometimes we read and we go, what is this guy thinking? He makes no sense. We read stories of his life, like, like this one, and we go, why would you want to count 1.3 million people? That's a lot of people. I can look and see. I got a lot of people. I don't need to know the exact numbers. Unless you're an accountant in here, Michael, we don't really need to know the exact number of heads. Right? Like, you look out and you say, man, there's a lot of people. I'm, I'm pretty strong. We just won battles. doesn't make any sense. Where David fails, though, Jesus does not. See, David tried to be the mediator. He tried to be the, the mediator in between God and his people. But 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Gave himself, made right, atoned for his people. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions or our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities or our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So now, let's look quickly at the details of this last section. God directs the angel of the Lord to stop just outside of Jerusalem. In 1 Chronicles, which is the, the, the mirror chapter of this same story, it says that his hand is raised right outside of Jerusalem. The angel of the Lord's hand is raised, ready to strike. And God says, stop. Arana, who, who owns the property, this is interesting, is a Gentile. He's not even an Israelite. So David purchases the property for the altar to worship God from a Gentile. It's interesting. Once he purchases the, the property and builds an altar, he worships there and makes a sacrifice. This act of worship, this sacrifice, it turns the angel of the Lord away. God is merciful and good, just as David had said. David could not rescue his people. He could not change the need for atonement for his people. He could not mediate on behalf of the people between him and God, but Jesus can. The angel of the Lord was bringing devastation and death. But Jesus can stop that. It is on this same place, this same place that Abraham was sharpening his knife, getting ready to sacrifice his only son when God provided a lamb in, in, the, in the bush to sacrifice instead. It is on this, this same place that David begins and, and builds this altar where he starts planning the temple and Solomon finishes the temple on this same place. 
It is just in the shadows of this place that Jesus dies on a cross and pays atonement for the sins of the world. It is this same place where when Jesus dies, the curtain on the temple that separates God and man is torn from top to bottom. This same place place that atonement was made in the life of David where 70,000 people had to die. Now only one has to die and that's it. On that cross that Jesus hung on, on that cross the sins of all humanity will be put on his shoulders. Of all humanity. He will atone for all the sins of the world. The final atonement. No more sacrifices will need to be made. Jesus' sacrifice is complete no more will people no more will you have to wonder if your sins have been dealt with no more will you wonder if you are loved or not no more will you need to question if Jesus is enough because his work is perfect and complete his work on the cross is final and it is the solution for our sin problem and his name is Jesus only he can restore us to right relationship with God only he can be our mediator and suffer on our behalf there isn't a sin that God doesn't already know and there isn't a sin that God doesn't forgive I have this recurring dream it's a nightmare really Matt and I and Brad were talking about it at a coffee group yesterday and this, this dream goes where all of my sins, acts, attitudes, and nature are on these screens. And it's just playing over and over and over. And in my dream, I am frantically trying to cover your eyes. Stop. Don't look. All my bad decisions. All all of it is just playing. It is terrifying. I don't want anybody to see that. Imagine if that happened to you. And the entire time you're watching, every time a new sinful act jumps on the screen, a bad decision, a lustful thought, a rage of anger is shown on the screen, you hear a whisper, it says, and that whisper says, it's forgiven. I love you. Every time. Every time you see something and you're like, no, 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 don't look. It's forgiven. I love you. He knows everything you have done and everything you will do and he says it's okay because of Jesus. He doesn't say it's okay that you do it. He says I love you anyway because of Jesus. Jesus paid it all. Our problem is no longer our problem. Yes, we have a sin problem, but Jesus paid for it. So we can sit here in this room, if we know Jesus, and we can say, I'm fully accepted, I am fully loved, and I'm liked. Where else can you find that? It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we know, like David, that he is merciful. Second Samuel ends 
with sin and atonement. A necessity for anyone who follows Jesus. And a tenant of the gospel, it ends with God showing mercy to David and to the people of Israel. He could have wiped every single person out, and he didn't. He could have wiped Jerusalem out, but he stopped the angel of the Lord, and he showed mercy. It ends with a red carpet rolled out for Jesus. It is as if David says, you know what, I can't, so I'm going to step out of the way. Jesus, you come. My, 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 my heir, you come. My blood, you come. When you come, I've got it. And it shows that Scripture is all about Jesus. Not about David. Not about the heroes of the Old Testament or the writers of the New Testament. It is all 100% about Jesus. And it ends with David recognizing his need and receiving God's presence. And the mystery, it ends with a Gentile. A Gentile providing a place for final sacrifice that will in turn provide salvation for him and all people. He invites all of us to know him and to be family through Jesus Christ. The greatest purpose in life is to know God and to be known by him. And if we've learned anything this morning, that God has done everything to know us. Do you know him this morning? As, God, as, as Ben prayed this morning, God is a marvelously creative God. And if you don't believe that, look at where we just ended. God is a creative God. So this morning, let us worship Him. Let us celebrate what Jesus has done. Let us celebrate at the Lord's table here and there. All because Jesus atoned for our sins. He made right our relationship with God because of his sacrifice on the cross. Let me pray for us. And then I'll invite those who are doing uh, the Lord's Supper to come and the band to come forward.